LifeWay Leadership Podcast Network. Hello, and welcome to this episode of Making Disciples with Robbie Gallaty, a resource to equip and encourage leaders to make disciples who make disciple makers. I'm your host, Chris Swain, here with Robbie Gallaty, the pastor of Long Hollow Baptist Church, founder and president of Replicate Ministries. Today on the podcast, we have a special guest with us who is going to help us expand our horizons when it comes to discipleship and expand our horizons when it comes to Dancing within the current location we are at. Yeah, we've got a lot of background noise here. We, at the we, Southern as you Baptist can probably Convention. tell by the background noise, we are not in our typical location. Do you want to let people know where we are at yes, right we now? We are actually here in uh, Birmingham, Alabama, at the uh, Southern Baptist Convention, and our first guest we have on the program is none other than the legendary Philip, Philip Nation. Philip Nation. Is it Philip P. Nation? No. Is it, it Philip W. Nation? It is. Uh, That's a missed opportunity from your parents. Reverend Dr. <laughs> Philip W. Nation II. I, I would prefer that you say bishop or vicar. Bishop. Along now, are it. you officially a bishop? <laughs> the no. right Which, reverend. Which, by the way, that's a tongue twister. Official bishop. <laughs> official official bishop. bishop. No. The official uh, bishop. Uh, uh, okay, I don't know. Let's just no. move on. No, move so on. what we want to do today, even though you Tell know, us who Philip is uh, so they know. Who that, I'm going to let... Philip tells who he is. Okay. But I just want to remind everyone that the sound today is terrible because we're in a la- large, crowded area. Uh, forgive us for that. But we've got some great information. Philip is a longtime friend of each of us personally. I once worked with Philip at Lifeway, and then you've known Philip as a pastor and as a friend for a long time as well. But, Philip, let everyone listening know who you are. Yeah, so I work as the uh, Director of Advancement and Global Impact Churches with the Baptist World Alliance. Uh, Over the last couple of decades, I've been involved in pastoring established churches for revitalization, church planting. I was a publishing director at Lifeway Christian Resources. Uh, I've served as a professor at Houston Baptist University, and along the way, published a few books. I was going to say, don't forget author. Author. Tell them, the, tell them your discipleship book. That's how we... Yeah, and so uh, the the major discipleship book uh, that I've read or written is Habits for Our Holiness, uh, mm-hmm. about how the mission of God draws us in and sends us out. And, and then along the way, I've also written, uh, co-authored a transformational discipleship with Michael Kelly and Eric Geiger. Yeah, classic. I mean, those are some heavy hitters right there. We reference that book a lot. Transformational discipleship and habits for our holiness. If you don't have those books and they're not on your shelf, you're missing out. No, those are great books. You're actually. really. I'm going to go ahead and say you're a failure. You a know, discipleship why? failure. I maybe. can say that. <laughs> it may not be true. Are you saying if Philip Nation is not on a shelf? You're a discipleship failure. If you can fit Philip Nation on your shelf, Go you, for should, it. you should try to Go do for so. It. I like the way this is going, but now I suddenly feel like an elf on the shelf. <laughs> <laughs> Judgment, yeah, yeah, judgmental Philip yeah. looking down upon your discipleship <laughs> efforts. Okay. Uh, Philip, before we continue, tell us about personally, though, you, uh, if you want to, wife, children. Oh, yeah, absolutely. The so, most important stuff. Yeah, that, that is the most important stuff. Angie, my wife, and I have been married since 1994, so we crossed the 25-year mark uh, earlier this year. And we've got two sons that are ages 23 and 21. And uh, our older son's graduated from college and out there trying to figure out what he's going to be when he grows up. And our younger son is getting ready to graduate from college and then get married next year. 
And so, yeah, life is good. And a new good. transition, though. You, you went to a church, yeah. Bradenton, Florida. Right. Okay, tell us about that. So, I, so while I was in Nashville, Tennessee, I helped walk a church through a transition, uh, a major transition of revitalization. I remember that well. Yes. And so a church in Florida knocked on my door proverbially and said, hey, will you come down to Florida and help us do what you did uh, with the church in Nashville? And so I spent several years down in Florida helping them to walk through the idea of what does it look like to move from a program-driven, event-driven mentality to more of a missional discipleship of who is here in the community that we can reach and how can we extend kind of tendrils of discipleship all across the world. So worked with them for a few years, and and then uh, the Baptist World Alliance, which is a global organization, uh, came along and knocked on my door and said, "Would you take on a more global role in the in the in the Baptist family?" What is the title? What is the title for that? So the title, uh, the major work that I do of uh, being a director of, of global impact churches is I help individual congregations get connected to the Baptist family globally. Okay. The BWA historically uh, was founded in order to connect denominations, conventions, and unions. But several decades ago, we had individual churches started coming around to the BWA saying, hey, we're connected through our convention or our union, but we individually we have some missionary kind of work we want to do, and we don't know where the outlet is. Can you help us? And so we started getting individual churches. And so we don't serve as their denomination, and we're not their mission-sending agency. We are purely just a networking organization. And so currently, we have 239 denominations in 125 countries that connect through the Baptist World Alliance. It's a total of 47 million church members and 169,000 churches Golly. that work through the BWA. And, and now, over these last couple of decades, we've had individual churches who have said, we want to utilize you guys as a mission partnership. So can you help us make the handshake to Venezuela or Sri Lanka or Colombia or Russia so that we can get connected with churches there to help them and to support them. So basically they say, we have a passion for X in this country. Can you guys get us in? What are the what are the stop gaps? What are the barriers? Help us do this. And exactly. Help and so the Baptist World Alliance works in all of the work, everything from helping to create discipleship movements, evangelism and church planting, to issues of justice and equity that would happen in a particular culture, religious freedom, all the way to doing theological reflection and pastoral training in other parts of the world. So sometimes we do it, and then sometimes we just help other people get together from various parts of the world to make it happen. So we want to make sure that we're supporting those local conventions and unions and and denominations around the world. We don't come in as like the champions that we're here to do it for you. We come in to be trainers and to be helpers. Yeah, it's good. Yeah. Kind of like Home Depot. We can help. (laughs) Not that it's more important. We can help. It's not that it's more important, but what is your favorite Marvel superhero? Oh, well, not that it's more and more. I know I know the answer to this question, so I just want to I want to hear it and have it resounded. <laughs> oh, Captain? Well, it is Captain oh, America. Oh, come on. That's, Are you a Captain America fan like Chris? I am. Chris is I am. If you come to my office, I have American. two things around the office. Well, toys. my family you have toys. And then I have pictures. Captain America gear everywhere. Yeah, you do. It, in fact, I I, uh, as we are here at the Southern Baptist Convention meeting, I have already put it out on Twitter and waiting to see if I can get some responses as to whether or not the people that are here will actually go on Twitter and tag their favorite 
Southern Baptist Convention personality and who that personality matches up with in the Marvel <laughs> Cinematic Universe. So let's play this trick on Pastor then. Would you go with Hulk? Oh, I, I, here's the thing. He I would, would go he, with I would go with in-game Hulk because he's exactly. kind of a smart Hulk. He's he's, prof, he's Professor Hulk. Uh, there you go. Now I've been likened to Thanos before. Somebody <laughs> some have likened me to you that. Do I don't know if that's chin. a plus or a you minus. You have that chin. Well, yeah. well, one of the things that one of the <laughs> after seeing uh, Avengers Endgame for the fifth time oh, because yeah. I'm that guy. Oh yeah, it, it, it was good though. I, I finally had uh, the epiphany. BWA has chosen wisely. Let yeah, me just say, uh, I yeah. finally had the epiphany that there are six infinity stones and there's also six SBC seminaries so if I could do some kind of doctoral studies where I could I could round the proverbial basis to all six of the seminaries this could be a premise to a new movie (laughs) wow this could be a follow-up I mean I could do the snap and get rid of all of our problems SBC (laughs) theology zone you know (laughs) I'm sorry I have taken this podcast (laughs) into what are we talking about okay let's talk about church revitalization that's right because I want to (laughs) hear something far more important okay so let's talk about this let's talk about you going into this context, a traditional church context, right? Uh, kind of a vacation community, if yes. you will, kind of a uh, business as usual mindset. And here you are, because you and I, I, I remember distinctively, you and I having lunch. Yeah. Remember this before you went there. I right. remember this. And we talked about that and... Uh, we were talking about possibly, uh, well, possibly working together or doing something together, and yeah. then you went there. And so I remember you going there. What are some of the lessons you learned going into this context, trying to implement a discipleship strategy, right. trying to get people to see it's way more than evangelism or decisions or conversions or Christians, mm-hmm. uh, that we're going to live on mission as disciples who make disciples. What were some of the big challenges? Because I know those listening probably say, I probably have some of those. And oh, it's yeah. the ways you've overcome right. them. But before you give us that amazing answer, <laughs> we need to take a brief Ooh. break for a moment. Today I want to tell you about something we have called the Disciple Making Jumpstart. This is a tool you can use if you don't know where to start to roll out a disciple making movement in your church. I recommend you go to disciplemakingjumpstart.com and check out some training. Tell us, Pastor, what this training might consist of. Well, this is something we're offering here at the convention uh, to pastors. Uh, ministry leaders who are trying to figure out where to start. That's the biggest challenge. Where do I begin? And what we've done is taken the guesswork out for you. So you're going to basically get a 30-day jumpstart of emails that are going to come to your inbox. You're going to get They're going to handhold you down the disciple-making process so that at the end of that time, You'll have a playbook to be able to implement disciple-making in your context. Exactly. Videos that go along with it. You're going to get two of our training videos from our blueprint, ta- teach you how to change the, change the culture, mm-hmm. but also how to implement discipleship groups. And then finally, a new metric to reestablish what yes. are the marks of a healthy disciple, all at discipleship. And even though you'll be listening to this in August of 2019 or some other time, we're going to go ahead and give you the SBC special code for a discount off the jumpstart. The code is SBC2019. SBC2019, 20% off your Disciple Making Jumpstart. Check it out at disciplemakingjumpstart.com. And we're back with Philip Nation, who is poised to answer one of the most critical questions of the church today, I would say. No pressure. No pressure at all. (laughs) (laughs) So, Robbie, you asked, what were some of the major lessons that I learned going into an established church that um, had 
that, that said all the right things in the interview process. Hey, we want to revitalize. We saw you lead another church through this. Can you come and help us? You know, it's kind of that Macedonia thing. You know, can he come over here and help us? So here are some of the lessons that I learned. Number one is, and this is not a statistical, uh, this is more of an analogy than it is a statistical certainty. But I, I want to say to pastors, you need to decide if, in, in the realm of 60-40, where does your church fall? Is it 60% willing to revitalize or is it 40% willing to revitalize? Now, again, I'm not talking about exact statistical numbers. It's because very unlikely are you going to hit a church that is... Uh, 90% ready to revitalize, or you're going to hit a church that is 10% down there in, they, they're willfully ignorant that they need to revitalize and they, and they just won't even talk about it. It's going to be somewhere in that mushy middle. And so you've got to figure out, have they tilted over to the majority or is it still a minority of the people in the church that, that recognize something has got to change significantly in the life of our church in order for us to find a path forward. Why is that important? Tell it, let's stop there for a second. Why, let's say I'm in the 40% one of revitalize, 60% don't. Yeah. What, 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 why is that important? Well, that? it's important because whether or not you're going to be able to have momentum day one huh. or you're going to have to build momentum. And so, it doesn't, so if you have a 40% church, it doesn't mean they can't revitalize. It just signals to you, I'm going to have, probably have to take the first year or 18 months to build a, a majority coalition within the life of the church, that change is not just necessary, but change is good. Change is going to be healthy for us. And so that's going to happen person by person, coffee meeting by coffee meeting. And and you need to just recognize it's not going to happen just because you declared it from the pulpit. You're going to have to win the hearts and minds of individual people who can help you build a coalition toward revitalization. Well, and, and that makes me think of discipleship these days in general. Revitalization is one issue, obviously, but the same thing happens a lot. We talk to leaders all the time, pastors who are, man, I really want to become a disciple-making church with a focus on making disciples, but maybe 30% of my congregation knows about that or cares to go in that direction. And so you find yourself, just like with the revitalization, trying to win them over to the process in the first place, which is why it's so great you guys are doing what you're doing. And I think it's important, too, that we make note that when we talk about discipleship, you know, replicate is a non-denominational, uh, you know, focus. We're, we're not a necessarily a Southern Baptist ministry or, or any other con- any other denomination. Although we're heavily tied to the Southern Baptist Convention, love the Southern Baptist, Baptist Convention, and partner with them all the time. But every church should be making disciples, and, and I think figuring out how to implement and knowing where your people are is that critical first step. Well, and he said something interesting too. He said. It takes. I love this. the The one on one relationships through lunches and meetings. We. I, I think it's comical when you see new pastors go into a context and then they'll post like they're new. They're they're no longer in a suit and tie. They're in like a like a button down shirt and they'll say, "Change the culture to a whole new environment. Come check out First Baptist Blank." And it's like, bro, no no offense, but with all due respect putting on a new outfit and being there two weeks and declaring the culture's change, like it's going to take a little more than that, yeah, right? Yeah. But, but here's, what, here's the point you, you made, which I think is so helpful. We always say this. There is no impact without contact. Like you can't impact your people if you're not in contact with them. And so discipleship happens in community. Change happens. Revitalization happens. Keep and, going, yeah. And I would say 
very intrinsic into even uh, the replicate model is uh, and uh, is the sense of the personal hospitality that discipleship demands it, is that these people have to be in close quarters with you uh, revitalization is close quarter combat of ministry you have to be willing to be in the trenches with people with all of their mess with all of their flaws with all of their misgivings and misunderstandings and even their fears and and again this goes to the heart of what discipleship is that you're walking with a, another person or another few people through the process of what does healthy fellowship of Jesus look like that you want it to become viral in the life of the church and as a pastor you're going to have to be willing to to not be the guy who just puts lipstick on the pig or just paints the the rotten wood on the barn door but instead you know, gets into the lives of people and is willing for the slow slog at times of ministry, waiting for the Spirit to then send a mass of momentum. And and so I, I, I want to encourage pastors to decide that your ministry is relational first, and it is systemic then after. If, you're, if you just want to be systemic... If all you want is to build a new system and people don't trust the person who is presenting the system, they won't be adopters. You'll get no early adopters. You will get no late adopters. Now, you will get the random person who's just wanting something new because they just came from a church that was old and busted and broken, and they just like a new face, and they like a new sound of a voice, and they like the guy wearing the button-down shirt rather than the suit. But for the most part, People need to know that they can trust the guy who is asking them to move in a new direction. And that happens by personal contact. It ha- you you got to move beyond pixels, you know, for those that are, you know, maybe millennial leaders. And you got to be there in person. Uh, for those that are a little bit older, you got to move away from just newsletter articles to actually getting into people's lives and homes. Easy, easy. <laughs> well, and the crazy thing is when we hear about people implementing discipleship, it's the same thing. Our first step to them is you need to start your group and begin doing this because you cannot lead this without the authenticity of having gone before them. And a lot of leaders, at least old, I think leaders these days get it. But I think maybe a little bit older generation of leaders are more susceptible to the idea that I'm just going to tell them and we're going to do it. And that does not work. When we uh, wrote the book Transformational Discipleship, it was based on uh, the largest research project that had ever been done of its kind about personal discipleship in North America. And part of that project was a survey that we did of 1,000 pastors in North America. And, And whenever you do a survey... You have to ask questions that basically get to the same answer, but you have to ask them in different parts of the survey in order to get people to answer honestly. And so with the pastoral survey, we asked these two questions at different parts of the survey. The first question, now there are lots of questions, but of these two, one was, what is the number one tool of discipleship in your church? And the vast majority of pastors, over 75%, said, my Sunday morning sermon. Wow. Later on in the survey, we asked pastors, the same group, are you satisfied with the level of discipleship in your church? Less than 30% said yes. <laughs> so here's I a gr- see a correlation okay, here. Tell us the, tell Maybe us I'm crazy. Yeah, so there's a lot of pastors out there that are implicitly trusting that their Sunday morning sermon is going to change the entire culture and all the lives of their church, but then they also have the implicit understanding that their church is not changing. God. Which at least they have that understanding. So that's a good first step. 
that's where we need to roll into that this has got to be a personal endeavor on the part of the mm. pastor and not just something where you're pontificating on Sunday morning. Tell us one more thing before we go. This is such a great conversation. I wish we had more time. I just like that Philip brings words like pontificate. <laughs> that is we a good word. We don't typically have good ones like that. No, we, we we're not struggle smart, over we're words not like smartest, Philip, That's the problem. We're not as smart as Philip, so <laughs> he's got true. all these big words. But here's the thing, the, the, and I know the answer to this, but it's good to hear it from the person who researched it. What was the number one spiritual discipline that you guys found in uncovering the largest discipleship study ever done? The number one discipline is daily Bible engagement. It is the it is the it is the it is the rising tide that lifts all the boats. It's an old you know it's a great it's a great illustration that a rising tide lifts all boats and and Bible engagement is the spiritual discipline, the spiritual practice that everything else hangs on. You, what we found through the research is people could be good at everything else, but if they weren't, if they weren't engaging the scripture, they had a lower chance of success spiritually. But if they would engage their Bible on a regular basis, then all the rest of the spiritual disciplines lifted along with it. That is so helpful too. And we say that all the time. We, we promote at, at Replicate obedience-based discipleship where the Bible is the textbook. The reason we use the Bible as a textbook because if you introduce curriculum or studies or other insights, which are all helpful, then people will reproduce what was introduced to them on the front end. But if you introduce the Bible as the textbook, that is the only thing God's promised to change our life anyway, and now the research proves the same thing. And so what a great what a great way to give your life to read yes, the Bible. Yes, thank you, Philip, for being with us. That is very helpful. As we wrap up today, I want to remind you that we are members of the LifeWay Leadership Podcast Network. And today I want to talk to you about a, a podcast called Ask Me Anything with J.D. Greer. And he will answer all kinds of questions. You can ask him anything. I you think. literally can ask him anything. And him, I, I've already help. seen him at the convention twice, and I've asked him a few questions. <laughs> Did he say he's going to put those on the podcast? He gave me answers. Right? That's, JD is an answer machine. You well, ask him anything, he's an answer so machine. So if you listen to podcasts, and clearly you do because you're listening to this one, go check out Ask Me Anything with J.D. Greer. And let's just be honest, Todd Unzucker is doing all the heavy lifting That there. is true. And so it's worth a listen. <laughs> That's plenty. Thank you for joining us for this episode of Making Disciples with Robbie Gallaty. If you don't mind, take a moment to subscribe and share the podcast. You can find out more about disciple making, resources related to disciple making, and our customized training on our website at replicate.org.